Welcome to Season 3 of Should We? A conversation with friends about the everyday choices that make us. Brought to you by MailChimp. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Diana. Here we are, back in the studio. I'm so excited to be here. It's really nice to see you on your stool across from me with a huge microphone thingy in your face. Yeah, we each have these giant filters in front of our faces, so it feels like I'm peering through mosquito net. Yeah, but I feel good about it. It feels very professional, which is where we're at right now on our should we path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is step three on our path to greatness. Mm-hmm. Our on path the... to greatness involves being great at every step of the journey. Yeah, path to empire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for season three, we wanted to make a few changes. Yes, we have some changes. Number one, we are going to publish every other week instead of every week. This seemed good for a lot of reasons, but the number one reason was why not? (laughs) (laughs) It's always good when we remember that we're the bosses and we can do whatever seems right. Basically, it's more sustainable. And we've also been hearing from listeners that they like to save up episodes, which I'm very charmed by, actually. I love the idea of someone saving up episodes and listening to a bunch in a row. But that means that if you're saving up episodes, it's nice to have a few that pile up, but not a mountain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't ever want people to feel guilty, like, oh, I should catch up. I should listen to all those episodes I've missed. No, no, no. I mean, should we binge listen? Yes, if we want to. Should we feel as if we've fallen behind? No. Should we pressure ourselves to get to should we zero? Absolutely not. No, no. So, you know, we're just going to slow it down a little bit to a more manageable pace for everyone involved. And the other thing I'm excited about is that for season two, we actually recorded almost all the episodes at once over the course of a couple of months. And then once we had almost all the episodes, we started publishing. I loved how responsible that felt, but I actually would rather be able to have conversations and publish them next, as the next episode. Not wait too long, not store them up. I want to make sure that we can talk about what's happening now. I want our conversations to always feel present. Yeah, we change so fast and the world changes so fast that publishing an episode from even a few weeks ago sometimes feels like, oh, it's not even real anymore. It's still great, but it's passed by. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to give ourselves a little bit more breathing room to make sure that we can turn around an episode and then publish it. So we're going to live a little more episode to episode, but with some breathing room. Yeah. So that brings us to today's question, which is, should we change? Diana, when you brought up this question today, reminded me of it in our pre-chat, I was like, oh, I have a million things to say about that. But I also know that you have a million things to say about that, or at least one deep thing. So would you like to begin? No, Lisa, it's going to take too long. (laughs) 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 with you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So 
I'm just gonna probably go all over the place. Great. Are you okay with yes, that? Yes, please. I need a little warm up because okay. it's a big question. I mean, we only have one question for this episode. Yeah. So, the first thing that came to mind was TV. I realized that my perspective about TV has changed dramatically over time. When I was very little, I loved watching TV, like Wishbone, Sesame Street, whatever. Love Wishbone. Yeah, normal kid. Then I became a super overachiever with a zillion extracurricular activities and took on this disdain for television, which I carried with me through college and grad school. I never had a TV during those times. I didn't really watch TV, or if I snuck a show in on my computer, I felt guilty, like I was wasting time. Then, I don't know when, at some point, I got back on TV. I subscribed to Netflix. I still don't actually have a television device, but I watch TV. I have my shows that I watch on the laptop. And I love them. What brilliant storytelling there is on television. And I always learn something new or or take away a new perspective that I can bring in my own life or just marvel at the depth of characterization or patterns of how actor's hair is styled or like all kinds of miscellaneous things catch my attention but I get so much value from television and I really once thought of myself as the kind of person who would never watch television and now I'm like why would I not watch television oh I think what I want to say as the warm-up to should we change is I think it's so important to challenge the things we believe about ourselves to be static. Yeah, right. And I heard this lovely thing from one of Shudwi's listeners, which was that what she takes from the show is questioning everything, like being in a conversation that playfully questions everything. And I didn't even think of should we as doing that, but it is a lot of what we do for each other in our lives and in this podcast and making sure that every answer still responds to a present question is really important. I'm trying to figure out what TV is the answer to in your life right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it's satisfying to me on many levels. Number one It's something that I can enjoy even when I'm very, very tired. And I can enjoy it while wearing my pajamas. (laughs) And I actually, I think the role of TV in my life has shifted since the election. Before, I would watch TV and I really wanted to watch drama all the time because after watching a drama, whatever drama I was having in my own life felt smaller and more regular and and okay. You know, I'd watch House of Cards or something or The Good Wife and then I would be like, wow, my life is so regular. (laughs) It's so fine. It's so fine, whatever small thing I'm facing. And then I would just get really wrapped up in the stories. Now, actually, though, I'm not drawn to drama or something like 
House of Cards or The Good Wife because I actually feel like the real world and the news I read every day is so dramatic and scary that I'm more drawn to comedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the main thing I'm watching is Melissa McCarthy <laughs> doing Sean Spicer on repeat <laughs> on Saturday Night Live. That's what I'm watching right now. It's like the contrast to reality is the key bit there. And drama isn't a contrast unless your real problems are small. Yeah. I think that kind of leads into another change I've experienced, which is throughout my whole life up to now, I just haven't been interested in politics. And I didn't really want to talk about politics much ever. The newspaper would come every Sunday, and I would push aside the front page, the first section. I would get straight to my tea magazine and the art (laughs) section and the style section. But I read the front page now, and... I check the front page every day, actually. So a lot has changed in that department for me, and I think it's good. I feel glad to know that whatever was keeping me from becoming more informed about my government is dissolved a little bit, and I have a lot of interest. It sounds like... You had some value, but then reality railroaded the old the old structure, and now there's something you value more. I mean, this also happened earlier today when we were getting chairs for, <laughs> <laughs> to sit and to work together, and I thought that my requirements included chair without arms. But we sat in all the chairs. We considered all the constraints and the fact that the perfect one without arms was not available. But the perfect one with arms was available now, and I want it now, and I feel fine about the arms. So I am a person who can work in a chair with arms. (laughs) And I feel good about that flexibility. I mean, I think it's important to know what you like and what you want and to be confident about that, and it's good to question it too, and be flexible when the time is right. This reminds me a lot of the gym I joined recently after doing a whole episode with you about how gyms were not for me. But I joined a gym and I really love it. It doesn't really matter what the gym's like, but I'll just tell our listeners anyway. It's like a yoga studio for strength training, and they're very kind but well-trained instructors who know how to intuit your goals and barriers and guide you through an interactive, fun, efficient workout. So I love it. And it's one of the biggest changes in my life recently. I went from very occasionally going to SoulCycle to now going to this gym two or three times a week for really intense workouts and as a result sometimes falling asleep at like 8 p.m. But I thought I knew what I wanted and I thought that I discarded every possible configuration of gym and I felt really solid about it. I was like, wow, I did a thorough investigation. I am confident in this. But then when some friends of mine each mentioned that they'd started working with personal trainers, something softened in me. And I realized that maybe I wasn't so sure. And because it was friends who aren't gym rats, 
it sort of seemed more like they had recently changed their minds. And so it was okay for me to change my mind. And then I did. And I'm really glad I did. So, you know, it felt great to feel like I knew what was what, but it feels better to arrive at a surprising conclusion and stick with it. You know, that reminds me of something I worry about sometimes with the podcast, and especially with publishing episodes on a delay, is that the two of us have so many personal revelations (sighs) that they go out of date really fast. So like, sometimes I worry that I'll see someone, they'll be like, oh, I've been listening to your podcast, and I'm doing Samba now too. (laughs) And I'll be like, Samba? What? We had an episode where I was all about Samba. I haven't done it in a long time, but I found other things. Yeah, in retrospect, that was a key turning point episode because it's also where we talked about silk bomber jackets, which I absolutely returned. Yeah, neither of us has one of those. No, but how cool that we felt so sure and then it was no big deal to reverse the certainty. That's right. What's that saying? Strong opinions held weekly. Weekly. I was like, Lucy Goosey. <laughs> what? <laughs> Strong but Lucy Goosey. It's funny because I'm so conditioned to reject the word weak uh, in relation to myself that I'm like, it can't be weekly held. That is the saying, but I prefer, as I think about it right now, strong opinions gently held. I just got a whole bunch of things mixed up. I was like, strong opinions and big stick? Loosely held? (laughs) Hold that big stick loosely. (laughs) And talk to it in a soft voice. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what I meant. So, Diana, this question I feel like we could talk about for hours, but... You have actually, you you initiated the question by writing a letter, which you shared with me, and I loved it. I felt so moved, and I wanted the thoughts and turns of phrase that you found there to be shared. Like, I just wanted to come back to them in some way. So would you, would you like to answer the question, should we change in another way. Yes, I will do that by reading the letter, which I just pulled up, and then we can talk from there. Dear Lisa, up and down the elevator I went, carrying brown bags and boxes in three separate loads. In practical groceries, mochi, carrot juice, milky iced coffee, guacamole, green plastic bottles of sparkling water too tall for any of the shelves in my fridge. Then a firm black foam roller for stretching, for posture and a new phone case to replace the one the pavement chewed up earlier this week. As the elevator beeped at me harshly, I ran a search. Lead by example, Diana. And there it was, the manifesto I haven't read in years. I cringe reading it. I can't believe I published it. Not just once, but twice. I imported it from my old blog to Medium and never told anyone about all the old posts on Medium, and so the version on Medium, the version I searched for, is utterly clear, white, blank. No highlights, no interaction, no hearts. So even though I know the piece was well-received at the time, and what a balm that was, reading it today gave me a regretful vulnerability hangover a few years removed. All that honesty and no one even read it. They did, but that's not the point. 
I also felt this horrible echo of apparent evergreenness. Because it reads as so honest, it seems true in the moment, and the moment I'm reading it in is now. But the person it describes is gone. Well, still here, but she's worked so hard, so achingly hard to dig into all those soft spots, the easy bruising parts of her heart, and come out stronger and steadier on the other side. I'm not her, only I am. The same tender person with half a decade of emotional strength training under her belt, and more flexibility at the same time. And come to think of it, that feels good. A reader wouldn't know that, but the piece isn't for them anyway. When I was retracing my growth earlier today, I for a moment considered the period between college and business school to be one of minimal growth. But now that I'm going through more methodically, I see that that's exactly wrong. Those years were my crucible. The most important things I learned during those few years, that I was lovable even at my lowest, and that I could persist. Retracing all of my personal growth moments feels unpleasant right now, but I do want to reflect on what's changed since my leadership manifesto. But then I just had an idea. We could do an episode called Should We Change, where we dig up artifacts of our past selves and go through what's changed and what hasn't. What we've changed on purpose, what we miss. I'll stop here until our next conversation. So I have to admit, I actually forgot that I wrote that letter. I thought that I just texted you my reactions to reading this manifesto. I I literally wrote it a few days ago. I can't believe I blocked it out. But I think it's because it is so tender still. Like, I, I won't read the whole manifesto, but the title of it is Lead by Example. And it's me in 2012 sharing what was important to me, sharing a point of view on leadership, sharing a point of view on my life purpose, and talking through some of the barriers I foresaw for myself. And it's so hard to read about those because it's like... It cuts to the quick, you know, to hear I have problems competing with other women. And it's like, yeah, that was true. And then I worked so hard to overcome it, you know. And of course, it's still it's still there in me. Like I still get touchy, especially now when I see other coaches or coaches in training who are projecting what I believe to be a very self-assured coaching business And I still get jealous and I feel like there's not enough room for both of us on this planet, even though I so know that's not true. And, you know, part of this manifesto, as I dug into, you know, what were the root causes of my conflicted relationship to fellow women, um, one of them was like lack of self-confidence is an issue. And it's so hard to read that lack of self-confidence was an issue for me because I feel like I've worked so hard to make that invisible. And I hate that it's on the internet that I ever was not self-confident, but it's also completely true. Like, I, I think I described myself to you the other day as like an emotional hulk, like with, you know, half a decade of leadership coaching and business school injected into my body. And like, it's that thing I wrote about in the letter of a combination of strength training and flexibility, the best of both worlds, like not, you know, on steroids, but like limber as well, like flexible and self-aware. And those are all the things I strive for. But, you know, it's so much effort and making the effort... Invisible or irrelevant, that's part of the project of mastery, but it's also never done. 
And never safe. So as you're describing this, um, I I guess, discomfort at having the, the effort of change and the starting point and the, the need for growth exposed, it makes me think about a, a point where I was really struggling with the question of whether I should be a manager or not. I was already a manager, and I just, every single day I was asking myself, should I, should I even bother because I feel like I'm failing all the time. I feel like I'm not naturally good at this. And it seems like people who succeed at this are just naturally good at it. But I'm trying to learn. I'm trying really hard. And I'm learning on other people. And that just doesn't seem fair, mm-hmm. you know? So should I just stop now before I've invested too much time and energy and like made too many people frustrated with me? And What I discovered through a process of like voicing those feelings with people I trusted was that a lot of the people I was comparing myself with have coaches. I just found out that they had all of these resources that they had either sought out or that had been offered to them to help them become great managers and great leaders in a company. And I just didn't know, I didn't suspect it at all. But quietly, all of these people who had such emotional strength and organizational insight, they had sometimes multiple different (laughs) types of coaches supporting them. They have advisors. They have all kinds of people lifting them up to do the best that they can and to keep putting them, nudging them on the right path. That was a huge awakening for me to realize that behind every person I'm like jealous of or who I feel insecure when I compare myself against them, I need to try and find the wizard behind the curtain, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's something valuable about pulling back our curtains too you know for however far we've come on our our own paths it hasn't been effortlessly you know what I mean yeah I mean it's been the most effort the most effort but you just said reminded me of the part of my lead by example manifesto where I talk about like what are the action steps toward greater self-confidence and I basically conclude in it like I don't know that doesn't seem like the kind of thing you can create an action plan around seems like it probably has to come from within but what I found in retrospect is that taking progressively larger risks and in this piece also I define courage as taking risks that are worth it and I had to redefine worth it as learning what the limits of how people receive me will be and learning that those limits are much more expansive than I know. And so I spent a few years and I'm still in the process of experimenting with different ways of being. Like what will happen if I speak in a clipped tone very assertively, strategically, how will people react? 
And it turns out if, if they don't have any preconceptions, they react exactly the way I would think they would react to somebody who naturally spoke in clipped tones. And it's just so funny to realize that, you know, it's not really possible to be someone else, but it's possible to act different ways depending on the desired outcome and partly just to find out that I'm not trapped in what I thought I was. You know, I can always choose to do something different. And in fact, being known for using lots of different approaches in lots of different settings is very freeing because then the common thread, the common denominator is experimentation and adaptability, which are things that I'd much rather be known for and much rather make my thing. I'm thinking about two things that relate to this. One is about coaching and one is about brands. Which one should I talk about? This is the hardest, Lisa. I guess brands first, but... Okay, brands first. So I was thinking of comparing this to some processes I have been through in my work where either there's an existing brand or a new one and the task is define the brand, figure out what is at its core, what makes it what it is, so that you can build on it, expand on it, replicate it, whatever, so that more people can make something in this brand. And a lot of the times you'll look at something and and see sort of uh, a, a pattern and think, oh, you know, well, this brand always uses the word special. That must be core to their brand. They must be special. They're about specialness. And in fact, some things like that that are very apparent on the surface are just a symptom. Mm -hmm. It's just one way of expressing something they're trying to get at. So then you have to, like, dig really, really much deeper to find, okay, where does that come from? What's underneath that? And then find the main thing. And then that's where you find possibility. Like if you can really get to the main thing, then you can say, well, we could express that in a lot of different ways. How do we really want to get this thing across and accomplish the goals we have? So I think this relates to change in ourselves too, like looking at things like, oh, I'm not a gym person or whatever. We're like digging down deep as the two of us try to upset those expectations about ourselves. Like, hmm, what's that about? Why do I think I'm not a gym person? You know, and then once you get all the way to the bottom of it, you can come out with other possibilities. Yeah, getting clear on the essence makes it possible to reintroduce variety. This also relates to coaching for me in the sense that when I first started working with Jane, whom we spoke with last season, I was really worried that working with a coach would mean I have to change myself. You know, something's not working, so I guess I just have to become a different person. I think I was very stubborn about it. But she very quickly reframed my definition of coaching to say, like, okay, let's figure out where you're at right now. We, we use the Enneagram to kind of learn about the things that are at my core. And then 
And then she showed me like, okay, here, here are all the other numbers on the Enneagram. All aspects of all of these are possible for you too. Wouldn't you like to expand your sense of self? So you can still be a four. I'm a four. You can be very four, but whenever you need to, you can reach for the other numbers, for other types of personalities and other tools that come more naturally to other people. And then the more you practice them, those can be yours too. And this is how we can come to be bookish people who go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Our friend Jean has this wonderful newsletter, and she was one of the people who inspired me to revisit my beliefs about gyms. But in this newsletter, she had a phrase like, who could read so well and also hope to move? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> like, who could expect someone to be able to do both? That's absurd. And I do feel like that a lot. You know, we joke a lot about being a brain with hands when we're in writing mode. But, you know, once I truly embrace and love the brain with hands, I also get interested in what would happen to the brain with hands core strength. Yeah. What if the brain with hands also had a body? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I think I think particularly because of should we, I'm coming to take such joy in confounding people's expectations of me. I think there were times when it really frustrated me so much when I was faced with an expectation about me that just was limiting. But sometimes now I'm just really enjoying surprising people. So, so for example, I am very short and very compact. I am often positive in my daily life in the world and I think there have been times when I have expressed a negative opinion or an informed criticism or even just frustration or, or anger about something and I've been faced with surprise like oh little Lisa I didn't know you did anger mm -hmm. <laughs> and that would make me even madder like really kind of, it's kind of patronizing to imagine that because I'm not a small person or because of the way my voice sounds, I don't feel anger. What? Of course not. That doesn't make any sense. But now I find myself reaching for other things like how else can I surprise the people I encounter in good ways that expand the sense of who I am and what's possible, but also expand their sense of what they expect is possible from someone who looks and sounds like me. Ah, oh, that's so true. It's true for you, and it's also true for me as I'm just kind of reveling in the truth of it. Like, a key word for me lately has been dynamic range. You know, how to expand my dynamic range and prove to myself that each point along that range has value and isn't the end of the world? And how can I experience for myself what happens at each point on that spectrum? Like a specific example is that when I was trying to challenge my long-held assumption that it's my responsibility to make people comfortable, 
I developed a simple challenge for myself when people were late to things. Punctuality is important to me for various reasons. But I would always, when people showed up, be like, it's so fine. It's totally okay. You know, like really go over the top, maybe say three different ways. Don't worry about it. And then when I really reflected inside myself, I thought a lot of the times it does matter to me. Like I wish they wouldn't be late. And I wish that they got the message that, you know, what is is. But I would prefer that it were another way. And so through deep introspection, like embarrassingly much introspection, I found a phrase that I felt okay with but challenged by, which was whenever someone would do something that pushed against a value of mine and apologize or not apologize, oh, I'm so late, you know, so sorry, instead of being like, it's so fine, I would just say it happens. And then we would carry on. And I decided that it happens was a way to hopefully close their shame loop if they were in a shame loop, but then not say anything about how I felt about it and let that speak for itself, you know? I tried that a lot, and I, as I tell this story right now, I'm realizing I haven't used it in a while, and that might be because people stopped being late. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so it sounds like sometimes changing our own expectations about ourselves and changing our own behaviors, even just as an experiment, can affect other people's behavior too. Yeah, I think that as we all go through the world, we're trying to figure out what we can get away with and what's important to us. And I never did the piece of figuring out what I could get away with. Uh, and I also never really did the piece of figuring out what was important to me. I just wanted other people to be comfortable. And when I did both of them figure out what's important to me and then start experimenting with what I could get away with and realizing there's this wonderful thing in a book. And I'm trying to remember the book. I think it's Adam Grant's Give and Take. Oh, maybe it's quiet. In one of them, there's this thing about idiosyncrasy credits where it's like someone who's very consistent. When they break that consistency people tend to just gloss over it as though it were, you know, skipping a frame in a movie or something. They just connect the two dots that were consistent and drop the frame that was inconsistent. And when I learned that, it changed my whole world because I was like, I was going for 100% consistency this whole time, not even realizing that aiming for consistency and having a values-based way of being, I care about being punctual, I care about respecting people, I care about giving credit where credit's due, I care about asking powerful questions. You know, if I do most of that consistently, then the 5% that I mess up will just get dropped. And as it turns out, we don't have to be perfect. Yeah, people will just think we're perfect anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I mean, Diana, that seems like a great note to end on. <laughs> well, we have many people to thank. Should we begin with our patrons? Yes. Thank you to our patrons. You too can join the Love Hate Club at shouldwe.co slash pay. This is a new thing we're trying for season three. We're all about being in it for the long run and per episode patronage through a site called Patreon was the solution we came up with and we're really happy and excited with this so far. Helps us be sustainable. And we would also like to thank Yosh at Faultline Studios for recording and editing this episode. Thank you to the band Canada for our theme song, Hey Garland. 
Thank you to Math Times Joy for our identity. And thank you to all of our listeners who keep changing our beliefs about what should we is for. Thank you very much. Should you tune in next time? We'll leave it to you.